Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Sergeant First Class John Valentine. Welcome to the Veterans Be Real podcast. Here's where we try to keep it real and do our best to help all our fellow veterans out there. This podcast will hopefully open our veterans' eyes into the transition and challenges they are facing and give them some guidance along the way. Please subscribe and download our podcast. We look forward to you, your insight, and your loyalty. Thanks for listening. And now here's Veterans Be Real. All right, good afternoon, Veteran Be Real listeners. It's Sergeant Be Real here. I got Wayne Taylor. He's going to be coming on. He is a veteran, and he has got some great information, and we're going to lead into him. So, Wayne, the floor is yours, my friend. Let's hear it. All right. Well, veterans, I'm an Army veteran. I did 20 years and 10 days in the United States Army. I left right at that mark when I could. So I was determined I was going to make it. Left. My daughters are getting ready to go into high school and college. So I didn't want to have to transfer and leave out those opportunities. I retired at military intelligence. I started off in enlisted in the infantry. I made it to E7, then moved over to Chief Warrant Officer, made it over to Warrant Officer, became a Chief Warrant Officer, and retired at McDill Air Force Base at a U.S. Central Command. Nice. And had the pleasure of, I'll say pleasure, but as my wife calls it, vacationing. I did two deployments or two tours to Afghanistan, so my home away from home. So spent plenty of time there, but have operated in five of the seven continents. Even had the pleasure of being uh, stationed down in Rosie Rose with the Navy. Army guy stationed with the Navy, folks. That was interesting. That was pretty yeah, that's, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had an interesting career, but we're not going to really talk about the career. We're going to talk about what happened when I got out. Yeah. So when I got out, I had the opportunity to go work right back with U.S. Central Command or work as a go into GS service. And I determined that was the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to go step away from the government. And for those who are still involved with it, nothing wrong with it. Yeah, God bless I you. I wanted to change the pace. <laughs> yeah. We want different. Yeah. So I wanted to change the pace. I was determined I'm going to go chase money. And I mean, Especially, I mean, now we all need it, especially now during this COVID stuff. But I, I was determined to chase money. And so I actually found a defense contracting company, a small defense contracting company that had a niche market focused on counterintelligence, human intelligence training, and was able to come on board with them as their director of operations and eventually director of quality assurance. Catch was I thought that's where I wanted to be. Again, working with a veteran company. All right, I'm going to be with all these other vets. It's going to solve my solution. It's going to solve all my problems. I'm not really going to miss it. I'm away from the government enough, but at the same time, you know, I still have that brotherhood. This is this is the solution. This is going to fix. I'm not going to have any problem transitioning. I've heard people talk about transitioning, their problems, their challenges. You know what? I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to have that problem. Yeah. And then. <laughs> exactly. Loaded and shit. then. Yeah. <laughs> So as, as we say, no shit. There I was. Yeah. <laughs> so, there I was. Yeah. <laughs> so things were great for a little while. I mean, I almost felt like I was back in the service. I mean, I was gone uh, three weeks almost out of every month on the road traveling with this company because they had stuff across the country. And so I was always on the go. I was always on the move. All right, this is great. I'm all, frequent flyer miles are racking up. Woohoo! I'm getting hotel points. All right. Wife and I are going to have good vacations once the kids Very get good. out of the house. All right. So life's going to be good. 
but it, it wasn't all that. I was, I mean, making a good paycheck. Life was going good. Kids were moving out of the house. They're going to college. Life's good. Mom and I are being empty nesters. <laughs> Love it. All right. Great relationship. <laughs> What's, and then all of a sudden I'm figuring out, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm spiraling downwards. I mean, I'm spiraling downwards hard and I'm trying to figure out what's, what's wrong. Okay. It's gotta be something. It's gotta be something at work. Maybe I need to change a pace. Maybe I need to come off the road a little bit. Maybe I need to, what's going on. And so I asked my boss, Hey, can I come off the road a little bit? Hey, not a problem. You don't have to travel as much. Life is good. We got some, you have some other people that work for you that can do this. All right. I can, I can handle that. All right. Still not solving it. Something. I mean, it is just this nagging feeling. It's, I'm almost to the point of, and I did, it's like, all right, let's, let's, let's start having some drinks every night. And, you know, a beer is one thing, but all right, let's, let's, let's break out the, let's break out the whiskey and yeah. let's try to figure out. Good bottles. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I don't have any up here in my office just to be good. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. But it's like, all right, let's break out the whiskey and try to contemplate. Okay. What's going on? What's going wrong? And, I can reflect with a with a good glass of whiskey. So that's where I was at. And I was sitting there just trying to figure out something is bothering me and I can't figure it out. And I spent all the time talking to my wife and she's like, well, you know, life is good here. Life's good here. What is it that you want to do? What is it that's going to make you happy? And I was, you know, scrolling through the internet, looking at what's going on for community activities, stuff that's helping out other vets. And I stumbled across the Veterans Treatment Court. Yes. Good thing. Veterans Treatment Court. All right, let's check this out. Went in, watched one Veterans Treatment Court, and I was like, oh, okay, hold on here. There's, there's something here. There's something about this that's important to me. And so I decided to get involved with the Veterans Treatment Court. Meanwhile, still at work, because it's a volunteer opportunity with the Veterans Treatment Court, but right. still at work. And I'm like, all right, I'm excited to win at the Veterans Treatment Court. Don't want to be a lawyer, but I'm excited to be at Veterans Treatment Court. Don't want to be a person going through the court. But excited about helping and working with some of my fellow vets. And I'm like, what is going on? To go back to work. And I was just going crazy. And it was just continuous spiral downwards. And every day of going into work, it was it was truly a chore. I mean, it's like after <laughs> you do that 20 mile ruck. And then get up the next morning. And it's like, do I really want to have to go run right now? <laughs> we need to take it easy today. It's like, really right, do PT? What are we doing? <laughs> What's wrong? So that's where I was at. And it was just a, a nonstop issue trying to figure out what's wrong. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And I finally, you know, it dawned on me. Glass of whiskey and a lot of self-reflection. I miss having a purpose. I miss truly having a purpose. And, I mean, you know, when we served, we had a purpose. We had a purpose that was greater than us. We had our brotherhood, our sisters right there. We, we knew who we were taking care of. We knew that we were doing something that was bigger than us. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't join the, I didn't join the military for a group. That honestly was the hardest thing for me was not having the responsibility directly of others the way I used to. Like not being able to really take care of the people that were – because I guess a civilian – it's not the same. Like I'm not going to go over to my, my employee's house and check to make sure how they're living. Whereas my soldier, I go to the house, make sure they're keeping, you know what I'm saying? Like he knows that I care enough that I'm going to go there and make sure this, I'm not going to do that because that's just not my life. So yeah, I had that. I had the same thing, Wayne. I went through the same thing. Like it took me a lot of reflection to go what, cause I had jobs. I was really good paying jobs. I was working at a hospital. I was, I was a drill instructor for a juvenile detention center, working with troubled use and stuff, doing a whole bunch of things to help the community. But then I'm like, and then I was t- Eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year working in the hospital, not really doing anything either. I was just kind of a liaison between me, my hospital, and the base. So whenever we had a military guy come in, 
my job was to kind of refer, you know, touch base with the, the base and talk to them because I could understand the lingo and da da da. So I didn't really have an over, overall super responsible job. So I was kind of, but I was making a boatload of money and I was like, what am I, I felt guilty almost, but, but I did reflection. I was like, you know, that's the thing I miss the most is just not being around and being the guy that people count on, like yeah, you know, a more right. personal level, you know what I mean? Not necessarily job, but personal, like, Hey, Sarge, I need this. Or Hey, Sarge, I need that. Like, all right, yeah, let me go, you know, spur you away. And I needed that. I mean, I had that my whole entire adult life and then all of a sudden they took it away. I think that's one of the things that, I mean, it's, it's challenging and a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, it becomes one of those things. Like you said, it's it's something we miss. Well, I, I even literally had a veteran come in about three weeks ago, young, young kid, probably 25, 26. You know what he told me he missed the most? Is having an NCO check on him every day. <laughs> he said, I really miss having my sergeant call me to make sure I was going to be on time or whatever. I miss somebody caring enough to make that effort because now I just show up to work and do my job. I go home. They don't even give a shit about me at work. You know what I mean? As long as I show up and do my job, they're happy. They don't care what I do off, off time. They don't care. But I miss having my NCO text me or call me or just I mean, just checking on me. And I don't got that anymore. It's like, a, it's like a, a void in my life. I don't have it. So I was like, yeah, I can understand that, man. Because if you were a good soldier and you understood why he was doing it, then it would make sense that you'd miss that when it was gone because like you were doing well, really and that's, well. I think that's one of the reasons why I really liked or I still like being involved with the Veterans Treatment Court mm-hmm. because our vets that I'm working with, they're, I mean, they do call-ins. I call them up. We, we, it's the accountability. All right, hey. how's everything going what's going on in your life what's your what's your mental state like right now what challenges and i get a phone call at 11 o'clock at night saying hey i'm having a hard time i'm like hey i remember when i'd have a 11 o'clock at night i'd have my my young troops call me because they're drunk and it's like hey i need a ride (laughs) (laughs) take two quarters to the back of your id card because you're going to have that there you're going to make if you so help me you get in that car you're going to pay you're going to be done yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, because like my nonprofit that I run here, we work with the Veterans Treatment Court here too. We do a lot with them, helping them find employment. And then they come work and volunteer with me for a little while. If they can't find a job, they come volunteer here. So they got some kind of structure in their lives and helping them get get rezoning. We work with the court, the liaisons, everybody too. So, I mean, I know exactly what you're thinking because or feeling because it made me feel like, okay, I can help these guys get over this little hump they're going through. We can We can help just get them back on track. And that's a huge thing for all of us as veterans, I think. Helping a fellow veteran makes you feel like you're back in the uniform because you're doing something that matters. And well, it, it is. And yeah. it's where, as I, as I talked to a lot of our vets or I looked at what brought these guys to the Veterans Treatment Court. And when you start pulling back, really peeling back that onion. I mean, I use that old, you know, yeah. direct mentality, you know, <laughs> peeling back that onion. So when you peel back that onion, what is it that, that put them in that situation or brought them to it? And it's really finding, you know, a purposeful driven life again. And so when I realized that's, that nagging feeling that, I mean, like I said, I was making good money. I, I was, yeah, <laughs> I cleared that six figure mark and I'm like, woohoo, okay. And I'm like, this is not solving anything. Something's wrong. And I, at that point I said, okay, I need to start looking for something else. And had a long talk with my wife and she's like, you know what? I would rather you go find something that fulfills that purpose than end up you being one of those people in the veterans treatment court because you're starting to drink. You know, honestly, we were both headed down that path because of that lack of structure. It may be not structure. I think it's just more the lack of the lively, the the way we lived our lives for so long, the accountability of our lives. You know, it's just a simple, and it was a simple stuff, you know, like Monday morning, motor pool, fuck four, just all those little simple things that you take for granted while you're in the military because it's just your daily routine. But when you're out, you're like... Man, I miss, man, having all my troops and doing that stuff. Or I miss, and like you're saying, like the treatment court, 
I mean, I had one kid, we pulled back the on him and he had, he had some drug problems, but all of it came. And when we got him to actually open up and talk, it all came from that. To the point that you even start missing, yeah, missing PT in the morning. <laughs> and I could say that after I gained some extra weight after I retired. So, yeah. I mean, I retired in 2012 and we're what, 2020 now. So it, it was just interesting. It was a, a different experience. And so what, for me, it was starting to look at other nonprofits areas in the community that I could get involved in that would allow me to have that interaction with veterans. Right. And I stumbled, I was fortunate. I stumbled across an opportunity to work with one of our local universities and at the university of South Florida, they have three different campuses, a Tampa campus, a St. Petersburg campus and a Sarasota campus. Right. They were looking for an assistant director at the, at the St. Petersburg campus. So I applied for that position knowing that I'm going to help other veterans Military, active duty military, dependents, spouses, widows, because we I've got a few of those, who are having challenges on a day-to-day basis, and they're looking for that type of interaction where they want someone that they can interact with who knows that they're there to, they understand what they're going through. And you'd be surprised, well, I don't think you would be surprised, but I think many people would be surprised of how many people are going through this challenge of transition. I mean, it truly took me five years, is, after five years is where I started getting that downward spiral. And it took another two years before I realized really what it was. And so that was seven years after I retired from the military before it really kicked in that, hey, there's something wrong. I need to find something else and really have that ability to transition. So, yeah, I mean, it, all of it, man. Because, I mean, like I tell people, money don't solve your problem. Money is nice. And having money is nice. Now, don't get me wrong. But it doesn't solve all your problems because it doesn't fill that void. It doesn't because, yeah, you can spend money, buy the things you want to have, have a nice car, not a boat, whatever. But in the end, is it filling that need you have? Not really, because they're, they're all materialistic type things you get with money for the most part. You know, like when I was working that big job, I was trying to put money away for my kids for school you know, or for whatever, you know, and then I did put some, and then, but then I was like, man, this job ain't worth it. Like I work right now, I don't get paid at all. I mean, I got my retirement check and my VA check. That's it. That's pretty much all I make because the business I run, I pay my employees and then the money that I make off it after that, I donate to my charity. So the guys I have hired for the other businesses I have, I pay them, I pay the bills, and then whatever's left, I put a little aside for the company, and I donate the rest of my charity because I want to help the mission that I'm on. And I don't even pay myself from the charity because I don't feel I need to get paid to do this job because I just want to do it because I love helping soldiers and veterans, you know what I mean, and first responders and their families. So that's what I do because I, like you did, I did all that reflection. I said, man, I, I got to do something that matters in this community. And I'm right by Fort Hood, so I got 40,000 soldiers on Fort Hood. There's about 100,000 veterans that live within about a 25-mile radius of Fort Hood. So we're saturated with military. I mean, like this is a military town to the, to the 10th degree. And people know who I am, like in this city. Like everybody knows who I am now because I've been there so long doing this. And like all the other organizations know me. They call me. They got my cell phone. Like, hey, John, we got a vet. Or hey, John, I got a soldier. Yeah, send them over. We got them. So it's about, for, for me, it was about finding the niche that I needed to make myself feel whole again. And connecting myself a little bit to the military, whether it's through the Veterans Treatment Court or whether it's running your own nonprofit or run, working for a company that's veteran driven. I think that's the most important thing for a lot of us is to keep that continuity <laughs> of who we are at where we're at. Because I mean, for me, it was a big challenge. For me, it was huge. Having that connection and I'm finding in my current role dealing with a lot of students, you'd be surprised how many people, well, again, I don't think you would be surprised how many people who are getting out of the military. And then they're, they don't want to associate with the military after they leave the service. Yeah. And it's not that they're embarrassed of what they did. It's just the fact that initially they don't want to have any type of interaction. They don't want to have any type of relationship. And so I've got people who they'll use their educational benefits 
but they don't want to come into our center at all. And I've got free food, I've got a computer lab, I've got all this other stuff, but it's also having that conversation. In fact, I mean, anyone who walks into our center, the first thing they hear is welcome home. I mean, we welcome everyone home. It doesn't matter who you are, welcome home because welcome you home. are home when you come in. You're part of our family. And so it's getting them to embrace that aspect that you're part of a family here. Yep. So and that's like, a lot of guys I notice, what I notice is a lot of guys get out angry. They had a bad experience where they got a general discharge because they got, they got, they felt they got screwed over. So they're angry. And I got that. And I tell them, but listen, angry doesn't solve your problems in the future. It doesn't solve your problems for the, the future. It's going to make you hold back and not use all the benefits that you, we can get. We can work around. I've, I don't know how many soldiers I've shown how to reapply for their general discharge and get a change to honorable because they got discharged because their commander didn't like them. They got a chapter or whatever for, you know, but they gave them a general under honorable conditions or a general. And I'm like, if they gave you that, then you didn't get a bad conduct. You didn't get a dishonorable. Fair game. We can fix this for you. Here's some, here's what you do. Email them, do the code of this book. And then they come back. Hey, sorry, I got it. Now I got honorable. Now I can use my, G yeah, now you can use your GI benefits. Go to college or go to a trade school or go something and do something productive. But being angry, you would have never done anything. And you'd have never asked me. You never talked. But because I came to the VFW and did a speech about what I do here, blah, blah. And then he was sitting there. He came and talked to me after. I said, well, look, look, come see me tomorrow. And we'll get you set up. And same thing you do in your organization. Those guys come in there. Hey, welcome home. And then you sit down and try. You've got to open You got to kind of open that can of worms and let, let's see what crawls out. Because a lot of those kids that get out angry, get out angry because, and they got that attitude that I got screwed over. The Army screwed me. My commander screwed me. Nah, Sarge, you, most of this shit comes from stem from things you did. You just haven't grown up enough and been mature enough to admit it yet because commanders just don't go try to kick soldiers out of the army because they have a mission to complete. They got to get the shit done and they need soldiers to do it. You know, I, I was a first one. I told you I had to, I had to separate a couple of soldiers, but it was because one of them did drugs and he did it the second time. I'm like, look, so you're done now. I gave you one shot and if you're done. You're out. Another kid got a DUI and, and, and wrecked the car and, and hurt a, hurt a kid or whatever. They said, you're gone. You know what I'm saying? I mean, all you had to do is pick your phone up and call me. I'd have came and picked you up at the bar and brought you home. You wouldn't have got a DUI. I got an accident. So I tell soldiers all the time, you got to take accountability first before you're in. <laughs> that accountability thing is a big thing. But I think you, you hit another area that when you talk about, you know, getting angry and, you know, like they, they don't want to pick up the phone and call you. I, I remember when I was a young, a young lad, I was like, do I want to call top or not? Okay, if I call top, I'm going to be I'm going to be pushing for days. But I mean, it's better than like I said, going and getting yeah. into an act or something else. But there's that embarrassment factor that I think is still hanging in a lot of people's mind. If, even if they get a general discharge and they don't want to share with anyone, it's like like you said, share with you so you can show them. Let's show you the path. Yeah. How to get that turned around. I mean, I don't know. I can't remember how many times as a first sergeant or a platoon sergeant, I had to call my boss and go, okay, shit, I kind of jack this up top or I kind of jack this up, Sergeant Major. I know I'm going to have to come in the office and I'm going to get an ass to it, but I want to let you know ahead of time so you're not blindsided. Because that was one, you know, in the Army, we're always about don't let our leadership get blindsided. Don't let them find out. from You tell them you'll still get in trouble, but it won't be as bad as if it came from another. So that's why I tell my soldiers, look, yeah. you come and tell me, yeah, I'm going to hold you accountable to the standards that we have in this unit. But if I find out from some other first sergeant or some other or the sergeant major calls me in his office that you and I didn't know first, that's when we're going to have a problem, chief. So, then, you know, what I'm saying get your shit together and call me because you'd rather get an ass for me and have to do some extra push ups at PT or maybe get extra duty or whatever, but not lose your rank, get kicked out. So that's the beautiful thing about the Army, too, because in the civilian sector, you don't show up to work one day. They're just going to fire you. I'm saying they ain't got time for that. They'll hire somebody else. So I tell people all the time, I said, you got to be smart. You got to be smart. Well, and it's funny, this is where I, I have the leverage of going back to my NCO roots because I'm talking to some of our, our my young students. I'm like, look, here's the deal. If you, you get into an argument inside the classroom with a professor or, you know, and a blow up with other students, 
yes, you have your own opinion. You have your right for your First Amendment. Got it. I, I understand. I, I know what you're coming from. Come let me know. Because if that professor and whoever else goes through the dean and everyone else and it comes down through the university channels and finally comes to me, it's hard for me to help you out. But let me know first so yeah, I can help I, you. So I can I can head off some of that stuff and, and go talk to the professor before it go escalates to that, that. Yeah. So I mean it's it's just it's it's typical leadership type of challenges that we face as civilians to try to get our veterans to understand that, yeah, you have yeah, freedom of speech, yep. But is it the right time for you to do that? I mean, the military taught you when it was the right time to bite your tongue and when it was the right time to say something to your leadership. You know better than that. I mean, is it really worth the battle? I mean, you got to really, you got to, you got to weigh it on a scale. Is this really worth it in the end? Do I want to get a bad grade because I want to make this guy feel like a jerk or I want to belittle him or whatever? Versus, I'll just go talk to Chief over there at the, at the office and see what he thinks I should do and maybe get some mentorship because that's what I teach people: get mentorship, ask how you should handle it, and then say, well, this is what I thought I should do. What do you think, Chief? And Chief says, oh no. Oh, yep. Then you're good. Then follow through with it. But talk to somebody, man. Let, let there be some influence in your life that can be positive. So that's going to be that can be the deal. So, yeah. John, can I ask you a question? I mean, I, yeah. you seem to be dealing with I mean, some of the challenges that I face right now. Mm -hmm. Like I, said, I, I think I'm in a fortune. I think I've, I've, I've finally accepted transition now that I'm in this new role yep. of working with with students. Again, giving back to working with our veteran community, working with whether it be I mean, I, like I, said, I even have first responders and their families who are coming in to our center because they know that at least we can relate and we're on the same right. line. But one of the things that I'm dealing with is helping our folks understand, I call it transition tax. I mean, you and I were fortunate. We were to walk out and we were able to walk into some decent paying jobs. Yep. But I'm dealing with some folks who are having that trouble when they're doing that transition. And they're like, well, hold on. I was making X amount inside the military. I was, a, you understand, I, you know, Wayne, I was an E6. I was making this. I had my BAH. I had this. Okay. When I, here's all the money I'm making. And now I'm trying to apply for this civilian job and they want me to take less money. And I'm like, but they say they're veteran friendly. I'm like, I get it, but they don't know what you bring to the table. Well, they should. I said, well, no, there's also a transition tax. And that's why I call it transition tax. You got to start off maybe a little lower and then show them what you've got. And then that's when yeah. the pay raises come, the jobs. I've had a lot of those conversations, Wayne, because what I tell soldiers is this. Listen, in the military, when he that little E6, I was telling you, but what were you before that? You were an E5, and before that you were an E4, and you weren't making as much as you were. How long were you in the Army? 12 years. Okay. How long you worked at the new job you got? Three days? So yeah. what do you think? They should pay you what E6 makes? The first. So I tell them, look, just get your foot in the door. Become the leader that you were in the Army. Become the NCO you were, the officer, whoever you were. Become that person and lead inside that company. They will see it. They will promote you. You'll earn your way up. It's you just have you have to start over. You're earning your way back up from private. That's why I tell everybody. When I got out, I took a job that may, paid me 16 bucks an hour, and I was a retired E7. I was making four or five grand a month, clearing way. You know, and I, stationed in Hawaii, I was making almost eight grand. But the point is, <laughs> yeah. But I told myself it doesn't matter as long as I got some type of income coming in. It'll help subsidize my lifestyle. It won't maybe necessarily pay for everything, but it'll get me by. And then I worked in that job for a year, and then I got to offer the other job at the hospital. And they said, we'll pay you 75000 to come work for us. I'm like, oh, what? Shit, what? Oh, shit, yep, go. So I, I put my notice in, and I, and I went to that job. But the point is, I told those veterans, I was getting 16 bucks an hour. On top of that, I was the newest drill sergeant. So guess what I got? All the shit shifts. I had the weekend shifts and the, the 8 p.m. or the, the 4 in the afternoon till fucking 8 in the morning shifts and shit. So I had all the crappy shifts because I was a new guy on the block. So I got all the crappy Saturday, Sunday shifts, but I worked Friday night, Saturday, Sunday night, and I just sucked it up and took it because it was a job. And I told myself, the job, getting me in the, my foot in the door is more important than how much money I'm making right now. So that's, that's our example you gave. I'd have looked at him and said, look, Sarge, you were in the Army for how long? 
you were making what as a private? Well, guess what? You're a private now because in this company, you're like a brand new private because you've never worked there before. It's not like you transferred from Fort, Fort Hood to Fort Campbell as an E6 and you still get your E6. It's you transferred out of the military into a new career field. So you're starting over. It sucks. Yes, you deserve to make more because of your experience, but show them you have that experience. Show them you have that leadership still, those leadership traits, and they'll eventually promote you because trust me, you'll outshine the rest of the people you're around. Because you won't mean to be told this. You'll do it. You won't mean to be do. This. You'll do it. You can motivate people. You'll know. You know how to motivate people to get things done. Because that's the military leadership is to tell you. You it's the ability to motivate others to get the mission accomplished. That's the definition of military leadership. It's the motive. That's what you do. So that's what you do in this new job. I don't care if you're working at Walmart and you're the door greeter. By the end of the end of a couple of months, you should be the damn shift manager or whatever. Because they're going to see they don't need to babysit you. They're going to see that. So it's really to me. It's a challenging thing to tell a, a, a non-commissioned officer or a, war, or, or a middle, mid-grade officer because we all don't get the opportunity to go work GS, GS-11 jobs. Because I have a lot of friends that got out. They got GS-5 and 6 jobs, and that don't pay a lot, but they got their foot in the door. And that's, that's the most important thing is get that it's foot about in the Getting your foot in the door and then making a name for yourself in that new profession you're in, that new challenge you're in. And I tell them, and these, these young soldiers that are getting out really early, I'm like, I tell I, I just talked about this in another podcast. I used to tell my soldiers, if you're going to ETS, which I, I, I appreciate your serving, and if you're going to get out after your three years, that's fine. But you better have at least three months worth of your livable income saved up before you get out because it's going to take about three months for you to really get back on your feet because you're going to have to find a job, start working at that job, process the, you know what I'm saying? So it's going to take a month or two. And if you have three months worth of your, so your living income saved up, you'll be okay for at least the first 90 days you're out. If you don't, you're going to even struggle worse. Oh, Sarge, you know, I'm like, all right, hey, don't. And I had a lot of soldiers that did do it, though, and they were very happy because they transitioned, they had a little money, and they even had to use some savings. So, I mean, it's like about, think about your future. You don't have that every two weeks you're going to get a paycheck anymore. That's gone. You don't show up to work one day, you're going to take out eight hours of your pay because they're paying you by the hour. They're not salary. You're in the military, you're salary. Outside, most jobs aren't salary. They're hourly jobs or they're contract-driven, da-da-da. But the point is, most jobs aren't that we're all, most of our younger soldiers that get out, E5s, E4s, they're not going to get a high paying super job when they get out. They're going to start at McDonald's or Walmart or wherever they get a job to get started. And I got to tell myself, just take the job, man. I said, go buy a lawnmower and start cutting grass in your, your flipping neighborhood. Something. And just yeah. tell everybody, hey, I'm a veteran. I just got out of the military. I'm starting to start a business. I want, can I cut your grass for 20 bucks and cut, undercut whoever's cutting their grass and just get the job and then build, start building your own landscape company, landscape company, whatever. But the point is, you have to make the decision. It's like put your phone on airplane mode and just go to work because you don't have a lot of time to make decisions. You got to make, you got to do it, especially if you got a family, you got a wife and kids or a husband and kids or whatever. It's a challenge for those guys when they get out. Now, they don't. It's sad because, you know, we've went through it and we understand it. But these yeah, guys, going, we've gone through it. <laughs> yeah, because we've gone through it. And I, I went through, I mean, I was. That first six or seven months when I got out working that job, I was struggling financially, but I was making decisions and cutting back certain things. And we were in a lot of ramen, a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and a lot of, you know, we didn't have a lot of big dinners. You know, we'd have steak maybe once a month versus once a week. And so, I mean, we cut back on a lot, my wife and I, to make sure we can make, because I got four kids and them jokers could eat you out of house and home. So, yeah, I'm, I got, <laughs> one, yeah I, one just transitioned out, but I got a 13, 14, eight-year-old now. So I'm like, Jesus, and that eight-year-old is starting to catch up to the 13, 14-year-old eating. And I'm like, Jesus, son. So, but anyway, <laughs> but, you know, I tell these guys, and just like you would say, because even like the Veterans Treatment Court, I used to talk, when I go talk to those guys, because I go over to see the judge all the time, and I talk to him a lot. And he'll tell me, hey, John, I got one coming in. He's got this. I said, all right, sir, I, I got him. I said, bring him over here. We'll get him to volunteer. I'll get him, I'll get his mind kind of in the right location where he needs to be. Help him understand and give it. 
because I got one guy, we got him, he was homeless. Da, da, da. Now I, he's working for me. He's got a job. He's got an apartment. So, you know, because we went through the, the, the homeless shelter and we, we got another organization that was donating money for me to hire homeless people because to, to get them off the streets. And I did. Now this kid's got his apartment. He's, he's good, you know. So it, it's hard, but I think most veterans got to understand that, you know, there's other veterans like me and you out there that are willing to take that step to help them. We're willing to offer a hand and say, look, we're willing to come help. You just got to show us you're, will, you're willing to do the work. Because you know, that's the thing. Like you as a chief and a, C, a former NCO and me as an NCO, my thing is this. I'll give you my, the shirt off my back if I know you're willing to do the work. If you're willing to, to put, in, if you're willing to put yeah. in the work, you're willing to invest in yourself. Yeah, if you're like, willing to do the work. How can I bend over backwards to help you? I will kill myself for you, bro. If you show me that you're willing to do the work, yeah, you might have hit some hard spots and made some mistakes. I, I'm fine with that. I made mistakes. We all made mistakes. I'm not judging you. I'm asking you, are you willing to step up and do the work? Yes or no? All right, then here's my shirt. Take it. Here's some – let's go. And let's get it done because I want you to be successful. You're a veteran. I'm a veteran. The only way our community stays strong is if all of us as veterans stay strong together and we work together to make sure we're okay. It could be just a matter of inviting you over for dinner one night just so you can just take a break and have dinner. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's the other part. I mean, what you're talking about right there. I mean, the networking aspect. Yeah, I tell – I get frustrated. I tell our guys, I said, that network. You don't understand how important that is nowadays. I was like, network with network with other veterans. You'd be surprised how many people that they can help put you in touch with, whether it be housing, jobs, whether it be employment with a big company, whatever it may be. But that opportunity exists, but you won't know unless you're willing to share and have that conversation and talk to someone. Exactly. Like me, I spend a lot of time with the VFWs, the DAVs, the American Legions, because I go in there. And a lot of them, you know, unfortunately, are in our area anyway, our VFWs are still primarily like the older Vietnam era veterans. It's not a lot of the younger vets. They don't because the Vietnam vets kind of and I don't think they do it intentionally, but I think they kind of keep that place as a haven for them versus a haven for veterans. Right. And because I think a lot of it is they want to compare Vietnam to Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever we might have went. And I like I would sit down and tell you, look, we owe you such a, a, a so much gratitude for what you went through when you came home from Vietnam because you put up with all the shit that we don't have to put up with. Them. People who loved out there spraying water on them. They don't have to. So you guys deserve a lot of empathy about what happened to you. But you got to let these younger vets get into the VFWs, get into the DAV. You got to you got to start doing things to get younger vets in here. Like I, I was a senior vice at one of the, the, the VFWs over here, and we were trying to change that. I was trying to bring Xboxes in and get game nights for the younger veterans to come in and just to get out of their house and come and have tournaments at the VFW. And the older vets didn't like that. They didn't want that in there. They didn't want, I'm like, but these are younger vets. We got to get these younger vets involved in the VFW. We're losing memberships. We're losing ability to communicate with these other younger vets. And you guys have experience that could be teaching these younger vets so much over a beer, over a drink, a soda, a Coke, it doesn't matter. But you're wasting it just sitting on the bar talking about Vietnam still. I mean, come on. I mean, I hear you. You know what I mean? But let it go. I mean, and some <laughs> of these guys, I mean, not only, I mean, and you're right. I mean, very thankful for what they have done. Yeah. I am very grateful. Then they came back and then they, they had to work hard. And a lot of these guys, I mean, they had great careers after they, after they came back from Vietnam. Yeah. And that's the challenge that our younger vets are facing right now that they need to understand. And that's what these guys are walking into the VFW wanting to talk about. And, hey, I'm having a hard time understanding or how to adapt to civilian life, how to walk in. What do I wear to a company? for my first day yeah, I mean, they can share these experiences because they've already retired again from from something and most of those guys are in their 60s or 70s so yeah they've already passed that level because like i would tell the guys in there all the old guys listen guys i need you to step up and be a mentor to these younger vets stop fighting me on what i'm trying to do here. i'm trying to get our our vfw loaded back up with veterans every week every week we got veterans in here having a beer having dinner we did we did free dinners we did all kinds of to get these guys to come out 
via we have Xbox tournaments with different stuff. We do all kind of call to do all kind of stuff because we knew what the younger vets are into. And they were just the older vets were just so uncomfortable. So after you know my time was up, I just stepped down and said, "Listen, I can't because if you guys are going to be resistant to this, it's not going to be beneficial to the the core of the veterans that are in this area. Because right now there are more Iraqi and Afghanistan and Desert Storm veterans in our area than there are Vietnam veterans because a lot of you guys have passed away, you know, and and we miss them. But you guys' numbers are dwindling. Our numbers are are growing or have grown to a number where we're the predominant veteran group now, not the Vietnam era." It's us because we had two wars, we Iraq or Afghanistan or both. Like I've been to both and da, da, da. And then there's guys who were dead shooting a storm. And then there was guys who were Panama and there was guys. So there's a lot of younger veterans that we can integrate into this VFW system and allow for there to be more communication and more mentorship and more ability for us to support one another instead of talking. Because it's not about battle. I said, I don't want to come into the VFW to hear about what happened over in Iraq or Afghanistan or Vietnam. I want to come in here and say, hey, man, what are you doing for work? How did you get that job? What did you do? Because we're not in anymore. How do I? How do I? Yeah. How do I get that job? How do I get that position that right. you have? What, what, could you look at my resume? Could you do this? What do you think I should do for this? I don't want to talk about my war scenarios. I don't want to talk about this stuff. I mean, I lived it. I got it. That's a memory I can't get rid of. Yeah, but I don't want to talk about it and be in here trying to like who's who's you know whose hat's bigger or who's you know who's what. That's not important. What's important is we all went through a war because we're in the VFW. Okay, got it. So what now is what can bring us together? Hey. Let me sit down and talk to you about this. I ran a construction company for this many years. Have you thought about doing this, right? I ran a landscape company. Or I did Because a lot of those Vietnam vets started their own job. They, they were entrepreneurs, too. They started their own jobs. I've got, I've got guys around here who are, hey, you know, I was a financial advisor. Have you even thought about saving? What are you going to do? So it's like, oh, okay. There's hold on. so much. There are so many resources out there for veterans just from other veterans. If we just took our community and consolidated everything and made it concentrate, concentrated it on each other, we would be the most dominant force in the country Absolutely. as far as success and happiness and, and living in the lifestyles and stuff. And because like where I live in my community, the first six houses on my block are all we're all veterans. The next four houses are all active duty guys. And then the next six after that are all veterans. So my whole one street and my whole block are all military related. We go to, I cut my neighbor's grass. He was out of, his, his wife and him deployed. His mom, his mom would stay at their house. And his mom had to leave. I was cutting their grass without even, no worry. I just cut their grass when I cut my grass. I'm like, I don't want your yard looking like shit next to my, you know what I'm saying? So, and then the neighbor next door that day said, hey, I'll cut the backyard. You cut the front yard. I'm like, all right, cool. So I cut the back, he cut the front. So, but that was the community we've built in my, in my little neighborhood. It's my, the, probably 70% of people live in my neighborhood are, are military or veteran. There are about 30% that are civilians, but most of those civilians that live in the area have lived here their whole life right next to Fort Hood. So they've basically grown up military. So they understand it. They understand the, they understand so, the mentality. They understand the community. And I think that's the reason why a lot of us that are veterans like myself, when I retired, I was like, I thought we were going to move my wife from San Antonio. So I thought we were moving back to San Antonio. She's like, no, babe, our, our kids are doing good in school. Why move them again? I said, you're right. You know, screw it. We'll just stay here and plant roots and this, we can live here. And when the kids get out, if we decide we want to move after that, after the kids are done with school and they're all off college, we'll, we can go where we want to go. She's like, yeah, I just want to, I don't want to move anymore. I said, I don't blame you. I've been moving my, I was like, my dad did 20 years in the Navy and I went in the army when I was 19. So guess what? My whole 19 years, I was a dependent in the military. Then for the next 20 years, cause I retired at 20 years, 20 days. I was like, you know, <laughs> I was like, cut sling a little quick. But so for 39 years of my life, I only knew the military lifestyle, whether I was a dependent or a soldier. And then, so from now I'm 49. So 10 years later, cause I retired in 2010, 10 years later, I'm like, this has been the hardest 10 years of my life because it's been so challenging and so different. And not that it's been detrimentally horrible, but 
the ups and downs are more dramatic because in the military, things can calm down and things can get leveled. You get, you get in trouble, you know, okay. but then a couple days later, everybody forgets that we move on. But if you get in trouble in a civilian, in a civilian job, that doesn't go away. It doesn't. You're either fired or, or, you know, whatever, let go or laid off, whatever. So it's different. And I'm like, damn, you know, this has been the most challenging 10 years of my entire life, the 10 years I've been out. And I try to tell people that I said, the military life was, it wasn't easy, but it was understandable. You know what I mean? Like, you understood the, the you understood the rules and the guidelines and what you had to do. You got up, you did PT. Yeah, you got up, you did PT. You went to work. You wore you wore two things your entire life: a PT uniform or an army uniform or whatever uniform, whatever branch you were in. But I woke up every morning at five thirty. Was at PT by six thirty. Did PT for an hour. Went home, changed. ACUs, BDUs, whatever to work. Went home, changed. Got t-shirt, shorts, whatever, chills, whatever. Easy life. I mean, if you really think about how simplistic the military is. It kind, oh, yeah. of dumb, it kind of dumbs everything down to a really low level. And I think you that's why. You're looking at like, your wardrobe when you get out and realize, okay, what do I have to go buy now? Oh, yeah. Man. I thought like, that first job I got at the hospital, I was like, because even my first job out, I wore ACUs and boots and a drill sergeant hat. And the only thing that was different was instead of U.S. Army, it said Williamson County. Because I was a drill instructor for Williamson County in Texas. It had my name on the other side and my badges and all my stuff because they let us wear our Army uniform. But we just put Williamson County instead of Army. So even the first year I was out, I was still in uniform every day when I went to work, which was kind of fun. But but after that, it was like the job of the hospital. Like, do I wear a shirt and tie? Do I wear a tie? Do I wear a jacket? I mean, do I wear loafers? Do I wear – shit, I don't know. So I called my new boss and said, hey, man, I, this, no disrespect to you. What am I supposed to wear to work, man? Do I wear a shirt and tie? He's like, shirt, tie. I said, all right, yes, sir, got it. And then I went to the store and bought what I needed to have, and I had it. But I was like, I didn't know, so I was kind of freaking out a little bit like, do I wear a polo? Do I wear a button up? Do I wear a tie? Do I wear a vest? Do I wear a shirt? Do I wear a jacket? I was like, oh, so those little things like that, because the army dumbs everything down so much to make it as simple as they can for you. Cause like you said, when the base train, they break you down and build you up, that's, but they build you up the way they want you to be. And that's a whole other, that, right there's a whole, want to be. that's a whole other conversation I have with people trying to explain to them, yeah. you know, what it is that really takes place. And that's where I'm having conversations now with professors to help them understand and you got to understand. So when I can finally put it in the academic terms for them and giving the psychological theories and they're like, Oh, okay. We understand that now. I'm like, ah, okay. But it's interesting, but yes, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it is. And, but you, you hit on something earlier. I just want to you know reiterate, you talked about talking to some of these young soldiers getting out and saying, Hey, make sure you have three months, three months tucked away. I'm finding individuals who I'm getting out. I'm going to use my GI bill uh, post 9-11, I'm going to get BAH because I know I'm getting this. And, okay, life's going to be great. No, you still need that three months tucked away because I mean, I'm that, that payment's delayed. That payment's not yeah. that month. That payment's that following month. Yeah, it's, not so, your retirement. Yeah, it's not your your army pay. It's going to come when they get around to it. I mean, the, yeah. people that are cutting that check are not in any kind of hurry because, I mean, it's just credit. <laughs> it, it is, man. It, it, Wayne, it's just seriously, it's just – these young soldiers who just decide, hey, I'm going to do three years, get out, use a GI Bill, get my college. And I'm, I, I tell, I'm fine with that. That's what you want to do. That's perfect. Do it. I mean, that's what the Army allows you to do. Do it. But just be ready to get out. Well, I have a GI Bill, so I can say, okay, what's the BH rate for an E5? That I'm like, exactly. See, you don't really know how much you're going to get yet. If you got to, you know, you got to find it up. Then when you get out, you got to get an apartment. You're, you ain't going to be living in the barracks. You're going to have to find an apartment, pay for an apartment. Then there's electric. Then there's gas. Then there's water. Then there's trash. Then there's, all this stuff starts adding up. Now that thousand dollars you're going to get, or a little over a thousand dollars you're going to get, that's not going to cover everything for you. Your car payment, your car insurance, your gas for going to your food. Where are you you got to get a job while you're going to school. 
Well, no, I don't. If I got to go, I got to go full time to get the BH. Exactly. You got to go full time to get the BH. So now what do you do? Because if you haven't saved up any money, you gotta, so it, it's a very challenging, even for those kids who do that. It's not, unless you're going to go home and live with mom and dad, because you only did three or four years in the army, you're only 22, 23, whatever, you're that young, you might be able to pull that off and go live with your mom and dad. And that's great. You know, if your mom and dad are, well, I'm not letting my kid come back though. I'm really, so, <laughs> I love you, but you're <laughs> well, paying yeah, rent. Well, you're, you're, living, you're paying rent. <laughs> if you're not in college and you're living here, you're paying rent. That's all I'm telling you. So, but yeah, so, but it, it is, I mean, the transition out of the military is probably one of the toughest things that I, and to this day, 10 years later, I still, I have all kind of, you know, because I have PTSD and all stuff from combat, but which kind of keeps me connected in some ways because PTSD keeps me kind of connected to the military. But the point is the challenges that I've faced since I've gotten out have been traumatic at times, traumatic. Like, you know, like you said, it's it's that roller coaster. It is truly a roller coaster. You have ups and you have downs. And And sometimes it's those roller coasters you're scared to get on because the drops are so deep. You're just like, woo. So I tell people all the time, I said, look, be prepared. It's not as easy as people make it out to be. Some people get out and they transition they're perfectly fine they already had it pretty much because there's those guys that pre-set up everything and they're good and there's some but the majority of them they're not ready they're just no, where, i mean i'll tell you i mean i thought i i thought i was set i thought i was this is going to be nice and easy i'm walking right into something i, I know the owners they're vets too this is going to be easy and i said yeah. five years later that's not when yet. that that sticking feeling started yeah, to show yeah, up. I, I told another vet a while but just having a job lined up doesn't mean it's going to be easy because you might get a job and then realize you hate it or it's not really what you want to do. And then you got to look for another job because you can't just quit that job and not have income while you're looking for another job. So now you're doing that. I said, it's not as easy as you think, man. I said, because I, I, I know a lot of young veterans like you or veterans like you that got out 20 years, had a lot of job lined up. I got a lot of them went into the GS job or they went on contract jobs overseas at Kuwait or Afghanistan. I'm like making really good money. But I'm like, dude, you're back over there. Now you're just a civilian. You got no authority over there. You got nothing. Whatever, dude. I'm not going to be separated from my family anymore. That was my thing. I'm not doing that. I, I got offered jobs like that, like pay a lot of money. I'm like, nope, not not doing it, man. I, I don't need the money that bad. So, but yeah, <laughs> transition is definitely the torment of my life so far. As far as how you cope and deal with the different trials and tribulations you go through, it, it's really challenging. So that's where, for, like we talked about. I mean, that's my big thing now is as I get some of these, whether it be with the veterans treatment court or at college. I'm really focused on talking to them about what, what is it you really want to do? What is your purpose? What is your calling? What is it that will make you happy? Well, when I want money, okay, you got all the money in the world. You got the perfect, got it. What is that really makes you happy? What is it you want to do? And it's amazing. I mean, so many of them want to give back to our community and they want to be involved in our community somehow or loosely, loosely affiliated with our community somehow. And as you're getting them to understand that, okay, that's but where you need that's, to. That's the beauty of that military part of it. They still want their brotherhood and sisterhood. They want to take care of each other because they were, they were bred that way. You know what I mean? That's it. All right, Wayne. So here's the deal, man. Last couple minutes here, I want to give you a chance to do a shout out for what you're doing in your community, what we can do to help you as veterans and from the, from the, the audience here listening to the podcast. What can we do as veterans to help you succeed in what you're doing for the veteran community you're living in right now, Wayne? I'm in Florida. I'm near McDill Air Force Base. I've got St. Pete, Tampa, Sarasota nearby. Right. Whether it be my community or whether it's your community, I'd ask you to look at a veterans treatment court. Uh, see if you can get involved in the veterans treatment court in your local area. If not, reach out to a local veteran organization. See how you can get involved. If you're in my local area, I'm not trying to take anything away from the Tampa campus or the St. Pete campus or any of the other colleges, yep. but we're trying to work on some scholarships for our veterans. What you find is many of our veterans will use their GI Bill and they get their undergraduate degree. It is so difficult to find anything to help people pursue 
a graduate degree. So $10 a month to our scholarship will eventually, a couple people donate, that eventually helps someone pay for at least one class. So I'm just looking at building up our scholarship base and our resources that we can turn around and give back. We're getting involved with, you know, salute for our suits for soldiers. It doesn't just have to be a soldier. It's airman, Marine, yep. anyone, military, yep. but trying to go make sure that they have clothing. So when they come to college and all of a sudden they realize they don't have a suit and they want to go to that interview, then we can put them in touch with an organization that can help them out. Find somewhere where you can donate your time, donate your resources that you may have available. And if you've completely retired, and you want to give back, see how you can just spend a little bit of time. But that's how you can help out. That's great, Wayne. And what we'll do, too, at the end of the podcast, guys, and on the website, we'll have a link for the Veterans Treatments Court that you can go to the main campus of their website, and then they'll help you find where there's one local in your area. I'm sure they'll have a zip code kind of challenge train tracker or something. But we'll, we'll research that make sure that that's available on the podcast episode when we release this podcast. So you guys look forward to that. Wayne's not kidding. I work with the Veterans Treatment Court, too. They're amazing they do a lot for soldiers that are in really bad situations sometimes. They put themselves in bad situations, and they just really just need guidance and help. So, And the other thing Wayne's talking about, donating to the college to help out with those things like suits for soldiers or suits for military. Those are big things. So check out. We'll put those links on the podcast episode link and on, on my website or on our Veterans Be Real website when we post Wayne's podcast episode. All right? So check that out. All right, Wayne, we want to thank you for being on the show, brother. We appreciate you. Uh, we look forward to our next time we get a chance to talk to you, Wayne. So thank you, sir, for brother. being on. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. Hope you all got something out of this podcast today. Please tell a battle buddy about us and stay tuned for our upcoming podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at www.veteransbereal.com. Support us because we got your back. Till next time, everyone. I'm out of here.